everyone thanks for tuning in this is episode number 36 Uh, i'm coming out of uh, luke chapter 9 as we make our way through the 24 chapters of luke and i just want to thank you for taking the time to uh, follow along with this Uh, if it's your first time tuning in i welcome you i hope that the lord speaks to you through uh, through what he has to say through the reading of his word Uh, before i get started I do want to just ask uh, that you would take a moment, if you are able to catch this prior to, I'm hosting a a worship and uh, psalm reading event uh, at my home, so I'll just pray that you would join me in prayer, uh, that uh, the Lord would move powerfully through His Word, that His presence would be manifest among us, and that lives, uh, bodies would be changed and uh, that he would get glory, uh, that we would leave the meeting uh, with the comment that the Lord was present among us. So I would appreciate your prayers for that and then in future events. So today we are Luke chapter 9, and in, it says, Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Whatever, Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Now Herod, the ruler, heard about all that had taken place, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the ancient prophets had arisen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he tried to see him. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. He took with them, he took them with him, and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away, so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless we are to go buy, to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. So that's not including women and children. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about fifty each. They did so and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them 
and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Notice the order. God, through Christ Jesus, has it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it to the disciples to give to the people. It came from Christ. Christ gave it to his, to his leadership, and then they then gave it to the crowd or put it before the crowd. I think that's a very intentional step. And all ate and were filled. They were filled, not just, uh, you know, held over. What was left over was gathered up, so it wasn't wasted. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, The Messiah of God. So Messiah is the Christ. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then he said to all of them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it, or will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? Some translations say their souls. Those who are ashamed of me and of my words, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when, the, when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Verse 28, now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him, to Jesus that is. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That tells us that Moses and Elijah knew of what was to come. So it had yet to come, but they had a, a knowing or an understanding of what was to be. So that gives us a little bit of insight that uh, th when they, in the... Uh, afterlife in uh, the state when we leave these bodies and we are with uh, as Christians, as followers of Christ, and we are with the Lord, we will have access to knowing things um, before the time. Not just then, but we have access to that now as well. But it is something uniquely that stands out there in the text. Verse 32, now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, so they were tired. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Now that's important. They were tired, but they stayed awake. 
And because they stayed awake, they were able to see his glory and the two, Moses and Elijah, who were with him. So that tells us, you know, sometimes we have to resist our, the weaknesses of our flesh, but when we do so, we are able to behold him. Verse 33, just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, or tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. Think about that overshadowed word. That's uh, kind of a similar phrasing that we see when Mary is told that the that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. Um, so it's an interesting word there. And they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent in those days, told no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, so think of the mountain as this uh, come-up-here place, this place of intimacy and proximity, nearness to God. A great crowd met him. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Well, that sounds familiar. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him. And all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless, notice that, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to the father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. So we see this story in Mark nine fourteen through 29 and also Matthew seventeen fourteen through 21. And you get a little bit of different insight from each gospel account. So I encourage you to read each of those, Matthew 17, 14, Mark 9, 14. Um, you get a little bit from each. And one of them, because the disciples were unable to cast this out, cast the spirit out, Jesus tells them, I think it is in Mark 9, that this kind only comes out through prayer. And then some, some manuscripts will say and fasting as well. Uh, that, that part's arguable. Um, I'm not interested in really arguing that fact. Um, but no, but nonetheless, um, we can all agree that uh, the manuscripts are true to the to prayer. And so um, if you'll notice too, I think it is in Mark 9, Jesus tells the Spirit, I command you. And if you notice how he'll, Jesus will talk to other unclean spirits, this is you can see a, a little bit of change. Now, let's not get, get caught up in trying to create a recipe, uh, but there is something very interesting about how Jesus goes about things. And so I think we can learn from that uh, because Jesus tells us, if you've seen me, think of that also as observation. If you've observed me, you have seen the Father, observed 
the Father. So we can take away a lot um, if we pay close attention to what and how Jesus does things. So I think there is something to learn from that particular encounter as it relates to degrees of difficulty with unclean spirits. Um, so yes, I'll leave it there. Uh, reading on, it says, While everyone was amazed at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. Verse 45. But they did not understand this saying. Its meaning was concealed from them. That's interesting. They did not understand it because it was hidden from them so that they could not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. They were afraid. And remember, it said he said he said to his disciples. So they didn't understand it. As his disciples, they didn't understand it. It was concealed from them. It was hidden or out of your the easy gaze. We could say that maybe. Um, so they didn't perceive it or process it. But they were afraid to ask him. And that's where they went wrong. And that's where many of us go wrong. Sometimes we're afraid to pursue and try to try to comprehend things because we think that Jesus is or the Father is one who would come at us with frustration and anger, resentment, bitterness at uh, our lack of where we are currently. Uh, that's absolutely not the case. So let's not be afraid to go to him to try to understand. Um, he's fully capable of processing and handling our requests. Um, so verse 46, an argument arose among them as to them as the disciples to which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus, aware of their inner thoughts, notice that, took a little child and put it by his side and said to them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the least among all of you is the greatest. Jesus didn't scold them for trying to figure out who was the greatest, which is surprising because you would think that would be completely disappointing uh, as their leader. But rather, he, he tries to correct their perception. If you want to be great, which is, which is fine and well, but to be great, you must be the least. Uh, that's the way the kingdom works, and we see that throughout Scripture. Um, so also I'm reminded of whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Remember when Jesus appeared to Saul of uh, Tarsus, who was later renamed Paul, but he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, we know that Paul wasn't actually persecuting Jesus. He was already dead, but he did persecute his church and his followers. And so whatever you do to others, you're doing to Christ when you do it to his believers, to his followers. That's a very sobering reality um, as we interact with one another. How we treat fellow believers is actually how we're treating Christ himself. So let that let that sink in. Verse 49, it says, John answered, 
Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. I've considered this line uh, previously, and I feel like I've noticed something newly in it, um, among many things that it can reveal. Um, I think this text also will tell us something that if if there's not a line in the sand of... Um, it's not that we need to create this platform of what we stand against because we do that actually plenty enough already. Um, the last thing we need to do is create more dialogue around what we do not support or what we stand against. Uh, so I'm not advocating that we need to vamp that up uh, or ramp it up, but rather um, it does, though, I think, tell us something unique that Whoever is not against you is for you. So if we don't take a stand against injustice, against um, anti-Christ um, teaching, anti-Christ um, doctrine, again, I'm not. I'm not really interested in having you know squabbles over you know doctrinal differences and things of that nature. But I'm, I'm just advocating that if we don't stand for truth and we have this if we have this posture that you know anything's okay, then we're actually supporting it if we don't have a stance for truth. That's all I want to say about that. Uh, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. <laughs> this is actually very fascinating because the Samaritans are they're bitter here. They're offended that he wanted to go to Jerusalem. Now, we know that there was quite a bit of animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles. Even you could say hatred. Um, the Samaritans were viewed by the Jewish uh, people f as kind of these um, uh, kind of mixed, interbred, less than types of people. Um, and and I'm sure the Samaritans saw the Jewish people as stuck-up, snobby, prideful, arrogant people who, you know, always looked down their nose at them. So there's this real bitter animosity between them. But so we see here the Samaritans are offended that Jesus is wanting to go to Jerusalem. So we, we must be very careful about how how what we get offended by. Let, let's actually disregard ourselves and and work hard, be vigilant to refuse to be offended. If we don't consider ourselves, then how easily could we be offended? It should be quite hard if we don't consider ourselves. So then it says in verse 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I, I like their boldness. 
I like their confidence in faith of what is possible outside of the physical, natural realm. Um, however, Je Jesus turned and rebuked them. And in I think this is in another place it's written that he tells them, you don't know what spirit you're of. Basically, he's saying, this is not what I came to do. Don't behave this way. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We see that these people have a lot of excuses. They have a lot of reasons to not yet begin. Um, I think it is interesting that uh, as you read through the different gospels, notice who Jesus says to follow him. It's not something that actually happens all the time in the sense of the direct affirmative command for him saying, follow me. Um, the man who was possessed, the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes, he actually wanted to go with Jesus. But he said, go and tell all that God has done for you. He wouldn't permit him to come. The rich young ruler who turned out who was unable or unwilling to sell everything he had and follow him, Jesus gave him that, uh, that, that objective, follow me. Sell what you have and follow me. But he had too much that he wasn't willing to give up. Uh, so, but not everyone got that opportunity to follow him, to be his physical follower. Uh, of course, we all have the ability to follow him in the sense of the spiritual following, following. But not everyone was extended an invitation. So notice that as you make your way through the scriptures. So I think that's where we'll end uh, for the day. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me as we are marching through. Uh, we're making some good headway. I hope this is blessing you. And um, I appreciate the time. And we will see you on the next one. God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.